Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. Hallelujah. Well, there is, a, there is a common theme that has been stirring in my heart and also in the church for several months, and that is the theme related to neighboring, but also related to the grace of God. If you were here on Mother's Day, you heard me share a message called Grace is Her Name. And uh, you've heard the message about the art of receiving as well, which is really all about grace. But today I want to entitle this message, Grace Found Me. Grace found me. Grace found me. My God. I'm telling you, when I hear that title, it just causes me to go back to where I was when grace found me. And if you haven't been found yet, if you're still lost, wait a minute, he's walking down your street this morning. Just think about the fact that you have always been loved by God. You were created to be in relationship with him. And yet God lost you, not through any, um, you know, lack of oversight on his part, but you strayed away like the lost sheep, like the prodigal son. But then grace pursued you. Grace sent mercy out to find you and to bring you back. And that's what happened to the prodigal son. Grace found him in a pig pen. And he got up from the pig pen and said, I'm going back to grace. I'm going back to my father. Where were you when grace found you? Were you in the prison? Were you locked up? Were you in the hole? Were you in the hospital? Were you in the crack house? Where were you when grace found you? Was your heart broken after a, after a, a breakup in relationship? Were you in an AOTA meeting or were you in church? Wherever you were, I'm telling you, grace is after you. Never forget where you were when he found you and where he brought you from. I want to take you all to a scripture and to a place of grace today. I want to take you to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, Jesus found this woman at the well. Grace found her. That's what she, that's what she went at the end of the story. She got up, left the well, and went back into the city and said, Hey, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Come see a man who found me at the well. I want to read today from the message Bible, the message translation or interpretation of the scripture. And I'm going to actually probably go through most of the chapter. But I like the, the language of this because it identifies to us some of the enemies of grace. If you're there in John chapter 4 in the message, in fact, we'll pull it up on the, uh, on the screens. Verse 1 says that Jesus realized that the Pharisees 
were keeping count of baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals into the, in the eyes of the people. Just those three verses just, just remind me of the spirit of religion. There's this spirit of religion today. I hate it. Ooh, man, I love church. I love the people of God, but I hate the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion causes pastors to compete or feel like, you know, that's my rival down the street. That the, 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 the person who used to be in my church is not here anymore. They left. They didn't even say goodbye. They just got up and left and went over there. And so now I see this person as a rival. That's the spirit of religion. It's a spirit of competition. And the Pharisees exemplify that spirit of religion. They were keeping count of who was getting more people baptized. Was it John the Baptist and his disciples or was it Jesus' disciples? Even though Jesus himself wasn't doing the baptizing, his disciples were. But the, the Pharisees were keeping score. You see, the spirit of religion will cause you to look at your brother and sister in Christ and see them as the competition and try to keep score against them. But we're on the same side. (laughs) In verse 3 it says, So Jesus, he left the Judean countryside and he went back to Galilee. But to get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. If I were to take a second subject for this message, I would say he just had to go there. Has that ever happened to you? Don't go there. Anybody ever tell you, don't go there? Don't, no, nah, I don't play. Don't go there. Now, usually when we say that, we're talking about a, a, a certain displeasure with a, the direction that a person is going in with their behavior or their conversation. And we're warning them that if you continue down that road, there's going to be some consequences and some repercussions. Don't go there. Oh, but no, Jesus, he intentionally walked into Samaria. He had to go there. And that's what grace does. Grace intentionally walks down your street. Grace finds you no matter where you are, no matter what you have done, no matter how many times you have strayed away and backslidden, grace will go there. He had to go there. Can I just let you all know that we have to go there too? We don't have an option. We have to neighbor. We have to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. We have to have a sense of intentionality with the great commandment. It's not a, it's not a great um, multiple choice. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You don't have any options with it. It's a divine direction that we are privileged and obligated to go into. He had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sakar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field. Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Now this is another uh, roadblock of religion. 
Jacob's well. It was a well that centuries before, the forefather, the, the grandson of Abraham, had dug a well, he and his sons. And it was, in the, it was in the region now of the Samaritans who claimed Jacob also as their ancestor. Now, sometimes we make idols out of things that started out good. This well became an idol. It became a, a religious shrine, if you will. We make shrines out of people. We make shrines out of good things. But verse 6 tells us that Jesus, grace... Worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. Another translation says he was tired, so he sat down by the well. Now, this is an amazing statement to me. This is the ultimate demonstration of grace. Number one, he had to go there. He had to go to a place that was, that was not popular, that was, that was off the map, that nobody went into that neighborhood, but he had to go there. The other part of it that just blows my mind is that he emptied himself of his glory, of his power, of his majesty, and he made himself tired. He was worn out by the trip. The scripture tells us that God became a man. He became subject to like passions like you and I are. Think about that, that God would allow himself to become tired so that he could identify with you. That's amazing. We serve a God who will go there. We serve a God who, in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Joshua, he's the captain of the army of the Lord. In the Psalms, he's the song in the morning. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he's the lover of our soul. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Ezekiel, he's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. In Matthew, he's the king of kings. In Mark, he's the servant of God. In Luke, he's the son of man. But in John, he's the word become flesh. He's God who became a man, who, who put, took off his robe of glory and put on a robe of humanity. He became subject to the same weaknesses, temptations, pressures that you and I are, yet without sin. The immortal became mortal. The infinite became finite. The ancient of days became subject to the times and space that you and I are limited by. The creator became one of his own creatures. That's amazing to me. That God moved into the neighborhood and worn out by the trip. He sat down by the well. My God, no wonder why Isaiah says his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Who? Anybody just feeling like you can't you can't handle life all by yourself. You don't have to. Emmanuel, God is with you. Anybody that's pressed by by problems, whether they're financial problems or your own mindset or your own addictions or your own habits, you don't have to deal with it by yourself. He is God with us. He's Emmanuel. And he, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He voluntarily restricted the use of his power and his glory so he could identify with you and I. 
Why did he do it? He, he did it to bring us back to God. <laughs> to find us and bring us back from our sins and to right relationship with the Father. But the scripture goes on in John chapter 4 that says that when he sat down by the well, it was noon. It was 12 o'clock in the afternoon. The, the King James says the sixth hour of the day because the Jewish calendar began at 6 a.m. So it's six hours later. It's 12 noon, our time. He went there but he went at the right time because verse 7 says that a woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. And Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. Why would the woman be coming to get water at noontime? That's the hottest part of the day. Well, it suggests to us that she didn't want to be seen. She wanted to go to the well when she knew that nobody would be there. Even though we live in, in, the, in the time of the, the history of the, the world, that the world is the most populated that it has ever been, there are 7.6 billion people on the face of the earth. Even though we live in a, in a, in a crowded environment, most people choose isolation. Most people choose to be by themselves, including this woman. She didn't want to be with anybody. She was taken back in verse 9, and she asked, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. You see, the, the reason that the Samaritans identified with Jacob is because they were literally half Jewish and half Gentile. And, and this division goes back to 722 years before Christ that where this war was existing between those who were pure-born, thoroughbred Jews and those who were Samaritans. The Jews looked down on them, wouldn't even have a conversation with them, wouldn't even go through their town. In fact, would go out of and around about the way rather than to go through Samaria because they were not pure Jews like they were but Jesus had to go there he went there because grace tears down the walls of prejudice and stereotypes grace just just looks for walls that have been erected whether they're religious walls or or racial walls or gender walls and it tears down those stereotypes of ethnocentricity and sexism now, that's a big word, ethnocentricity, but what does that mean? It simply means that we view that our ethnicity is better than somebody else's ethnicity. And we all do it. Black folks, too. I'm going to tell you how I know. I'll tell you how I know. Anybody ever see the movie White Men Can't Jump? Them brothers got played for their money because they thought Woody Harrelson was not a ball player. They were guilty of ethnocentricity. They looked at the white guy. He was kind of nerdy, pushing his glasses up. And they said, man, this brother can't ball. That's ethnocentricity. We everybody know that a brother can ball. That's not true. How many of you brothers can't ball? Just go ahead and just, just put your hand halfway up, right? Just because you even shame to say it. But, you, you know, every brother can't ball. Every brother can't dance. Every brother can't jump. That's ethnocentricity. 
to look at a book and to judge it by its cover. And so this Samaritan woman was guilty of ethnocentricity, but grace came to affirm her dignity as an image bearer of God and to tear down the wall of stereotypes and prejudice. And then grace gives. Grace, grace affirmed her dignity by asking her for a drink. You know, people, people want to give. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so Jesus wanted to bless her by saying, hey, give me a drink. He asks her for a drink. He allows her to give to him. And Jesus answered and said, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink. And I would give you, uh-oh, it's technology, and I would give you fresh living water. If you knew, the King James says, if you knew the gift of God, the generosity of God. He's asking you for something, but what he's, what he's asking you for is really not what he needs. You need what he has. You need his generosity. You need his gift. And if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. And the woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with. And this well is deep. How are you going to get this living water? Are you better, a better man than our ancestor Jacob? There's that religious spirit again, who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and his livestock, and passed it down to us. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water that I will give will never thirst, not ever. The water that I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. What Jesus was trying to help this woman to see and what many of us need to see who are sitting out here today is that people are thirsty. They're thirsty. I'm talking about real thirst. They are really thirsty for living water. But the tragedy is that they are trying to fulfill that thirst with false things that don't really satisfy. It's amazing to me the number of, number of adults and young adults and teens that are, that are smoking marijuana today. Trying to get high. And it's really bringing them low. <laughs> you know, when you get high, you really go low. <laughs> because it's a, it's, a, it's a false substitute for the living water. You, you're looking for some satisfaction, but you're not going to find it in that. You're not going to find it in alcohol. You're not going to find it in fornication. You're not going to find it in shop till you drop. You're not going to find it in sugar and sweets. You're not going to find it in anything else other than in Jesus. People are searching for something. Jesus said, I've got the living water. <laughs> My mother used to she, used to, she didn't like that song, Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus. I'm telling on her. I love her, but I'm telling on her today, though. Whenever they would sing that song, she would just say, do what? What are they talking about? Do what? My mother, she wanted, she wanted scriptures in her songs. She loved them old hymns because they was talking about something. All these songs that can't, can't nobody do what? Talk about what he does. Well, she knew that it meant can't nobody satisfy you like Jesus. Only Jesus is the answer. So the woman said in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't ever get thirsty and I won't ever have to come back to this well again. He said, Go 
call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. You see, grace encourages honesty. <laughs> grace didn't come to condemn and beat you up with your, because of your past. Come on, this woman had five husbands. But grace is not, is not there pounding her with a hammer saying, Let me, every one of these husbands, I'm going to hit you for each one. It's encouraging honesty. It's, in, it's encouraging transparency. You know, the, the, one of the healthiest places on the face of the earth is an AA group. Because it's all about honesty. Hello, my name is, is Frank and I'm a drug addict. It, they're, they're not coming there to hide. But oh, you come to the church. I thank the Lord. I'm blessed and highly favored and blessed by the best. Oh, you know you ain't all of that. How you really doing? Grace encourages honesty. There's no need to hide like Adam who hid from the Lord and covered himself with fig leaves in the garden. No, he's saying all you got to do is repent. Just repent. We encourage, this, this spirit of religion encourages people to hide their stuff. Hide who you really are. When you think about the fact she had five husbands, I don't know, but it, she could have been married to some religious men. She could have been married to Pharisees because a Pharisee could divorce his wife if she burnt the biscuits. Literally, if she messed up dinner, he could divorce her. It wasn't easy to get divorced for common people, but the religious folk had made loopholes for themselves. So maybe she was married to five religious men. These fake brothers in the church. Until Jesus showed up. Telling you he had to go there. He's knocking on your door right now. He's showing up and he's affirming you. He's probably the only man who, who approached her with a conversation and didn't want sex on the other side of it. But wanted to give her something. Some living water. The woman said, oh, I see you're a prophet. Well, tell me this, our ancestors worship God on this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, he said, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming. It is in fact come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and it's the way you live that count before God. Oh my God, that just, to see grace just shows up and just tears down religion. It's, it's who you are and it's the way you live that counts before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people that the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship God is sheer being itself spirit those who worship him must do it out of their very being their spirits their true selves and adoration <laughs> the woman said I don't know about that I do know that the Messiah is coming she had some hope she said when he arrives he'll get the whole we'll get the whole story Jesus said I am he 
I am he. I'm telling you, he had to go there. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. <laughs> and just then, the disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe that he was talking with that kind of woman. That's religion. No one said what they were thinking, but their faces showed it. <laughs> the woman took the hen and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. I'm telling you all, we are called to minister to that kind of person. We, we are called to go there. Why, why, why preachers are, are fighting and competing over saved folk to come to their church? Because they already, you know, they know how to dress, they know how to act religious, they know how to give, they know how to serve. Go ahead, just go ahead and leave if you want to go and leave. We're called to go after that kind of person. We're called to go there. <laughs> Grace has us on a mission. Grace sends us out on a mission. To, being, to be light, life, and love in dark places. You are on a mission. Back in the village, the woman says, come see a man who knew all the things that I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. She didn't say, come see a man who knows all that I did, who sees me inside and out, and rejected me. No, she identified him as a man of grace. In the meantime, look at this, verse 31. The disciples pressed him, Rabbi, eat. Aren't you going to eat? Now, you remember at the beginning of this chapter, the disciples left Jesus at the well, and they went in the grocery shop. They went into the city of Samaria to grocery shop because was, they was going to come back and bring lunch to Jesus. All the time, they're in the city of Samaria, they haven't made a difference in anybody's life. Their focus has simply been on groceries. They ain't witness to nobody. They ain't pray for the sick. They ain't cast out any demons. They just focus on, we just got to get these groceries back to Jesus. The woman has gone back into the town the woman who wanted to be all by herself, now she's in the midst of the crowd testifying. She ain't thirsty no more. Because <laughs> now she got some living water on the inside. Jesus, the one who was tired and sat by the well and was hungry, now he ain't hungry no more. <laughs> Why? It's because grace gets filled up when it sees mercy received. Grace gets happy when it sees the love of God has been accepted. Grace goes over the top when revelation of who we are in God. You remember when the disciples came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us. Jesus, full of joy, said, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but you have revealed them unto babes. That's when grace gets filled. Jesus said, the food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it will be harvest time? Well, I'm telling you to open up your eyes and to take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. 
Church, can I tell you, the harvester is not waiting. It's harvest time right now. In Milwaukee, in Waukesha, in Brookfield, in Racine, in Germantown. It's harvest time right now. What are we waiting for? It's harvest time. My prayer is that God's grace would motivate our hearts so much that we that we have to we have to tear down a wall and, and add more seats. When the grace of God just overflows our heart, I'm telling you, you won't you won't be able to keep people out of this place. As long as you're doing religion, folks gonna keep coming and keep going, and you know, they might just hold their finger up and tip on out. That's so religious. Just go ahead and go. You got to go to the bathroom? Just go. We see you. Because that don't make you invisible. Right? I see you more now. You got your finger up. Just go. Just pee. Just pee and come back. Right? Just. I'm telling you, folk, that, those kind of people, when we go there, they ain't doing that. They don't know nothing about that. The only thing I give honor to God who's ahead of my life, they're just going to tell you, oh, it's testimony time. Let me tell you what I did last night. And it's going to be real. It's going to be raw. And the spirit of God, grace encourages honesty. Grace is so attractive that, that the people from the village, they came and they saw Jesus for themselves. And they loved him so much they encouraged Jesus to stay. And he stayed two whole days with them. Let me, let me close as the, as the uh, Minister Curtis comes back to lead us in a time of worship. I want to close by giving you a picture of what grace looks like. As I was, as I was preparing this message, you know that the Samaritans are really a picture of grace. They're a picture of you and I. Because when, when you think about the, the war between the Jews and the Samaritans, the Jews stuck their chests out because they felt like they were thoroughbreds, pure blood Jews. 100% Jew, ethnocentric, right? Prejudice, stereotypical, everybody else, Gentiles, were beneath them. But the Samaritans, that's a picture of grace because they are a mixture of Jew and Gentile. That's what you and I are. <laughs> we're mutts. <laughs> that's, that's a picture of grace. You know, people take pride in their dogs. They got the certificate, my dog is 100%. Purebred, you know, born and raised in Europe and England. And we grew up with mutts, right? Our dog had a little bit of this, had a little bit of that, had a little bit of that. That's a picture of grace. Now, can I tell you, that's what you and I are. God don't care nothing about the thoroughbreds. He just, he just he's like one of them dog catchers. He just wants a bunch of mutts around him. We're a mixture. We are rejects. We are outcasts. We are rebels who were, who were going in a direction with our heart far away from God. But grace loved you. Grace pursued you. Grace, even though it lost you and you strayed away, he found you. And when he found you, he brought you back to himself. He washed you up. He cleaned you up. He put a robe on you. He put shoes on your feet. He put a ring on your hand. And he celebrated and said, my son, my daughter was dead, but now they are alive. 
If there's anybody who is excited and thankful for the grace of God, you need to just throw your hands up right now and thank him that grace found you. Thank him that grace found you. Thank him that you are a mutt. That you are a mutt. You are a mixed breed. You are mongrel. You're nothing but a dog. But I'm telling you, grace found me. I don't deserve it, Lord. I don't deserve it. But I'm so glad that you found me, God. I'm so glad that you went there. I'm so glad that you went to the well. I'm so glad that you made yourself tired and subject to my passions and my weaknesses so you could reach me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just a mutt, God. <laughs> Just a mix, a mixed breed. I don't deserve to be in your family. I don't deserve to be your son, to be your daughter. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna in a moment invite you to communion and invite you to a deeper time of worship and prayer but there may be some of you that are here this morning and you you're not in the relationship with God that you should be in and if you were to receive communion right now it wouldn't even matter but I'm telling you if you recognize that you're far from God or you strayed away you need to come back to him I'm telling you he's coming down your street right now he's knocking on your door and he didn't come to condemn you he didn't come to judge you he didn't come to punish you he's not mad at you he found you he found you he, he had to go there he knows exactly everything about you. Everything about you, and yet he still loves you. And he loves you so much that he's not going to leave you where you are. If you're backslidden, or if you've never been saved, you don't even know what it means, but you just know you're not in the right place you should be with God. Just pray this prayer with me right now. <laughs> just say, Lord, save me forgive me take my life and do with it what only you can give me that living water so that I never have to thirst for the things of the world ever again I receive it right now by faith Heartline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life and love of Jesus Christ as a part of this mission Join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.